And we're back with Business of Film, episode number 28. My name is Jesse Eichmann, and you're listening to a crafttruck.com podcast. This week, we're with the National Bank of Canada, uh, their international film group, uh, the manager of the international film group, Lisa Wolofsky. She was kind enough to share some of her time today, and we go into what I would say are the nuts and bolts of working with a bank, international financing, and uh, in particular, gap financing. So there, what I would call uh, this episode, I would frame as uh, the ultimate foundation in working with a bank. Or if you are thinking about putting together and producing a project where you are going to need uh, bank, international, or gap financing, this is a great episode to listen to. Uh, and certainly Lisa goes into uh, all the services that the National Bank of Canada offers and how they work with producers and filmmakers. So uh, enjoy this episode, episode number 28, Lisa Wolofsky. We'll get going. Um, and, and thank you. Thank you for, for coming on the show. I, I appreciate appreciate your time. And, and before we kind of dive into all the, the fun stuff of working with a bank, maybe you can give our listeners just a little bit of a, uh, a who you are and what you do. Sure. So um, Lisa Wolofsky, I work as the uh, manager of international finance and gap finance for the television and film group at the National Bank of Canada. And I have been there, it'll be actually three years this May uh, at Cannes. And they hired me over to run their international group because prior to my arrival, they were primarily focused on financing um, deals that had a Canadian component to them. So um, pretty much Canadian content deals and financing the soft monies and the subsidies out of Canada. And also, actually, I should say co-production because they were doing a lot of co-production. So in that way, they were financing international independent film production um, and television. Um, but primarily through co-production, and they weren't offering a gap component or an international pre-sale component um, to the financing. So that's what I brought um, to the bank was my expertise in that area specifically. So just so. just 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 to lay some of the groundwork here uh, before we kind of di- dive in um, and talk about these these various components. When you mm-hmm. talk about dealing with co-productions or with uh, international or financing international uh, deals, are all the deals that the National Bank is doing right now? Do they have to have a can- uh, a Canadian counterpart, or are you also doing deals that are, for example, just a U.S. Uh, or a European-based uh, show? Or do all the deals that flow to the National Bank of Canada, do they always involve a Canadian component, or does it, does it not matter for you? Yeah, well, that's it. Now that um, we are offering gap and pre-sales, and we, you know, I've come in with this experience more in the American um, uh, arena, and as well uh, European, UK, uh, South American, um, French, uh, Belgian. So the answer to your question is. Prior to three years ago, they were looking for uh, a Canadian component, and they were only offering their financing to Canadian borrowers. 
is really more, um, you know, what the situation was with the bank. And now we can offer our financing to U.S. borrowers and even borrowers out of the U.K., South Africa, Australia. So we are now open for business to the world, pretty much. Awesome, awesome. So mm-hmm. let's just kind of just, just just paint a little bit of a, a little bit of a picture here of um, of what uh, I, I know. I know every deal is different, but let's just take a look at maybe a, a, a typical deal of what like that might look like. Just because as we talk about these things, I want to kind of put it in put it in context. So a producer will normally come to you. Uh, at, at what stage in the process are you normally getting the knock on the door? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, of course, like you said, every deal is so completely different. But I guess if I had to come up with a typical deal, and we'll talk about a film deal, I think that the conversation should focus more around film because this is more typical of the 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 um, you know the sort of project that we would offer GAP and pre-sales financing to. Um, a producer would come to me with a um, a script, a budget. Um, now the budget, the, the show can be produced anywhere, um, pretty much in the world. It doesn't have to be produced in Canada. Um, as of late, most of my business actually is, or most of the, the projects that I'm seeing are being filmed in the U.S. Now that the U.S. also has so many state incentives, as I think you're aware. So, you know, it can be filmed anywhere in the world and they'll come to me with this budget with a finance structure of how they plan to finance the budget. Um, usually the first thing, uh, you know, that shows up is the, is the soft money or the tax incentive from whatever state or country um, or jurisdiction that they're going to be filming and or posting. And then that's complemented by, um, you know, pre-sales. Um, this is a big component of the financings that I look at. And so if I am to look at providing a gap, um, I would need to see a certain number of pre-sales that have been made. So pre-sales mean that the project already has to have or normally would have a certain uh, um, number of key talent attached, certainly a director, and probably at least one cast member, unless it's a specific genre where the cast is less important, like perhaps a you know a horror genre type picture, um, uh, where then the director would play more of a of a role. And the other very important component that I need to see initially is sales estimates from an acceptable sales agent or a reputable sales agent. Um, that we've uh, deemed acceptable at the bank. So that's usually how a producer would approach me, and I would look at that finance plan, and usually what happens is that there's a gap in in their financing, which they're asking me to fill um, based on my analysis of the project as a whole and what the value is in the uh, usually in the foreign territories based on the sales agent's estimates that they've provided. So you're going to take uh, the package, the financing plan, which may have some component of soft money, maybe some private equity, um, mm-hmm. pre-sales. How many sales are required in the pre-sale land before you will consider doing a gap? 
Yeah. So, you know, we usually need to see at least a couple of pre-sales in a major territory, meaning, you know, if there is a couple of sales, one being in Indonesia and another one being to Israel, that doesn't usually cut it. I need to understand the appetite of the marketplace for this particular project. So usually I would see a pre-sale out of you know, possibly France, the UK, um, you know, Benelux, which is, um, you know, Belgium, Luxembourg, Netherlands. They're all usually grouped together as one territory um, for buying purposes. Latin America, um, you know, any one of the European territories, of course, I just mentioned a couple of them, Australia, um, and then Canada in, in the international deals as opposed to in the Canadian content deals where, you know, the, the project needs to have Canadian distribution in order to access the, the soft monies. Um, here, there doesn't need to be actually a Canadian presale. And sometimes there isn't one when I see the project and I'll still approve it even if there isn't any Canadian presale because oftentimes they'll hold back from selling Canada so that when they sell North America, they can offer Canada and the U.S. as a package to the domestic distributor. So in, in broad sort of pink brushes, what percentage of the budget are you typically seeing as uh, the pre-sale amounts in these, in, in these financing structures? Oh, it's, it really varies from, from project to project. Um, and it also depends on the timing. So if the project has just come together just prior to a market, there may be very few pre-sales. I mean, we may be only seeing, you know, somewhere around, you know, 10 to 20% of the budget in pre-sales. But if it comes right after a market, they could have up to, you know, 40% of the budget covered with pre-sales. Um, you know, 50%. I mean, it really depends on the, on the project, on the seller, on the appetite for this sort of thing. Also on the genre. For example, um, you know, animated or, um, big, uh, VFX driven films are harder to pre-sell because people want to see what the special effects are going to look like before making a commitment. Right, so those are sometimes harder to pre-sell. Or, for example, a genre picture. Let's say it's a horror picture that's based around um, a certain monster, or uh, you know something like that. That the buyers will want to see what this looks like before uh, committing to buy. And when it comes to, I guess, the upper limit or the 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 range for a gap, where does the does the bank have sort of a, a comfort zone in which it normally has sort of its inside and outside ranges for what percentage of the budget it'll, it will cover in gap, or is that pre-sale dependent in terms of, you know, how much the estimates are for the pre-sales that'll determine the amount of the gap? Yeah, no, typically, I mean, actually our threshold is 20% of the budget, so we won't um, provide more than 20% of the budget in gap. So that's our ceiling. Or gap. Now, is there? I mean, but ty- but typically it doesn't get that high. To be perfectly honest with you, typically it hovers between ten and and fifteen percent. Gotcha. So, in in the case where um, a producer is, is looking at their overall budget, I mean, I I, I imagine, uh, and we don't have to get into the details of what the cost of financing is necessarily because I, I, there's there can be obviously a range there, and gaps going to be mm-hmm. say be more expensive money than. 
than non-GAAP money. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, what I am curious about is what the budget levels, like the minimum budget level that a producer would normally have to have before it makes sense to have the kind of GAAP conversation with the bank. Because if you're doing... Uh, I'm going to, you know, quote unquote, low budget movie, and it's under a million dollars, let's say, that's probably mm-hmm. not the kind of movie that we're talking about here, because the cost of doing business will not, you, you won't be able to afford that within the budget. So I'm assuming there's some minimum amount of, uh, of, of budgetary kind of threshold before it's even worth thinking about this kind of a structure. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you, you're very correct in saying that. Um, you know, traditionally, uh, we have not financed, uh, budgets under, uh, $5 million, um, where there's a gap component because it's just too much of a hassle, frankly, um, with all the legal documentation that has to be in place in order uh, for the you know financial transaction to close and we insist on having a completion bonder and often you know certainly budgets under a million dollars and often even you know below three million you know often they're they're not bonded shows um, you know there there's a lot of time and cost that goes into financing um, gap and, and international pre-sales. And it's just not, you know, frankly worth it um, for the producers. They're much better off at that budget level taking that money and trying to find, you know, uh, either an equity um, provider or somebody who will put up the equity um, for the, the gap in their financing and take that money and put it up on the screen. Now, you see, I imagine, quite a lot of deal flow in the position that you are in. What I'm curious about is, you know, what is the appetite out there right now that you're seeing uh, in the international markets for pre-sales in general? Because a lot of what, you know, uh, a lot of what people are talking about on this podcast and just in general from other producers is the pre-sale market's just harder. Uh, There's uh, a ton of product out there. It's really distributors sort of uh, playing field right now. Uh, we've talked to we've talked to some large distributors, and you know it's their opinion. At least not not all cases, but in quite a lot of cases where they're like, you know what, we'll just sit back, we'll wait till the film festival, uh, you know, plays the movie, and then we'll try and you know, and and then we'll, we'll we'll pick up what we can there after we've seen the product because there is such a supply. So the the idea that there may be, uh, and I'm, I, I'd love to hear your side of this, you know, your side of this, the idea that there may be an oversupply of product would lead to there not being as much of an appetite for pre-sales. So what, what are you seeing from where you sit? Mm-hmm. Um, my comment to that is, um, first off, I've never, I mean, I, I've been financing uh, GAP and film and television production for, it's going on, gosh, I'm going to age myself, 17 years now, and I've never heard anybody say that there's not a huge amount of product on the market and that it's a buyer's market, and, you know, know, admittedly, um, you know, maybe even as uh, recent as for three, four years ago, I think that, yes, the pre-sale market was was better and, and more vibrant. But I, I'm not 
factor if that has to do with the fact that there's too much or a surplus of product on the market than the economic situation in, in the world right now. Um, you know, it's been a very tough time for Greece. Um, and, and also the, the whole situation, uh, the media, uh, it's been tough for media, the whole, you know, fall of DVD, uh, slower rise of SVOD, um, and, you know, the various territories and their own economic issues. Uh, Russia right now, I mean, Russia was a huge buyer last year, for example, um, paying, you know, very good prices. And this year, you know, for obvious reasons, it's going to be tough. Um, for Russia. So, you know, there's all kinds of economic factors around the world that contribute to making pre-sale, the pre-sale market more difficult. That being said, um, I think that there's always a market for good product. I don't think that goes away, and I don't think it ever has gone away. Um, even though it is cyclical, and I do believe it is cyclical, there are some years where there's more product than others. This year, actually, I'm finding, or especially coming up at Cannes, there's probably less out there uh, by far than there was even last year. Um, and I think it's just a matter of, um, you know, really solid projects out there that buyers are interested in, good scripts. It all begins with a good script. And then, you know, I think, the, of course, then the, the key talent is, is crucial, but it all starts with a, with a script. Does, uh, do you ever, I mean, it's kind of a little bit of a take it with a grain of salt, but, but how, how much does the script matter to the bank for how, from a creative perspective, or are you just evaluating, uh, the components of the deal, looking at the pre-sale numbers, looking at the director, the cast, and kind of making your evaluation off of what everybody else is, you know, who everybody else at the party is. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my counterparts, um, both in the U.S. and abroad and even in Canada, would probably, um, you know, I think they find it funny that a banker would feel it necessary to actually read a script when, you know, this is all about number. But for me and for the National Bank of Canada, um, you know, frankly, our view on gap is almost like it's quasi equity because in as much as we're in a first position to recoup our money, it's still risk money and it's still execution dependent. And I think when you're financing a product, be it, you know, uh, a script or a, a, a as of yet completed film um, or a building, you need to understand what it is that you're financing. And it's always been important for me and, you know, now for the National Bank of Canada to understand exactly what it is they're financing. And in order to do that and be educated about it, I think that reading the scripts is actually quite important. And I have never undervalued the importance of that. And it's probably why, you know, we've been so successful at it thus far. Yeah, and that's... Or one of the contributing factors, anyhow, other than the fact that we have a phenomenal team of 35 people across Canada um, who are just uh, incredibly bright and, and talented people, and most of whom have come from the industry, which has been a great help. Yeah, I mean, that's a really important 
you know point because especially in Canada where um, and correct me if I'm wrong here but I, I I don't believe there's any other bank certainly at your level that does gap financing uh, there may be one other player that dabbles in it but at the level that you guys and the 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 the, the amount of money in sort of aggregate dollar figures that uh, the bank is able to deploy towards uh, financing film uh, through Gap. I mean, the fact that you say and view it as quasi equity, mm-hmm. uh, that's a very unique position for the bank. And, and uh, from a differentiating point of view, um, you know, is, is that is that the element that really differentiates the national bank from its competitors? Is that kind of your unique selling proposition when you're talking to producers? Because producers, to a certain extent, there is a limited amount of choice when it comes to gap financing. Mm-hmm. Uh, agreed. Yeah, there are a few banks who do this. Uh, and, uh, you know, most of my, you know, my, my largest competitors are actually based in Los Angeles. Um, that being said, I think, yes, that definitely differentiates us from the other banks, but I think there are many other things where we provide First of all, a, again, a phenomenal service to our clients. We have um, we have taken people who have come from the industry as opposed to, you know, educating bankers about the industry. So we take people from the industry and educate them about banking. Because first and foremost, we are a um, you know we're an industry driven group. I mean, we're all about being specialized to film entertainment. So we provide a lot of added value more so than any other bank in our complete and well-rounded knowledge of not just the, you know, Canadian industry per se, but the world industry. I mean, we have people who work at our in our group who've come from Telefilm Canada, who've come from the ONDC, who've come from, I mean, certainly myself, who's come from a gap fund. Uh, we have people who had come from production of all kinds, um, you know, animation production, live action production. Uh, we have people who have come from, I mean, all far reaches of, of our industry. So there's an expertise there that I think, you know, other banks just don't, they don't enjoy that. And then the fact that we're situated in Canada, now that the world has become so much smaller um, in terms of production and, you know, the U.S. producers who traditionally had produced most of their shows in the U.S., even in California, are now obviously a lot wiser and smarter to subsidies all over the world, not just in the United States, but in, you know, the the many other territories around the world. I mean, right now I'm closing a show that's shooting in Morocco. Actually, not that there's a subsidy there, but that's how far reaching we've done. We did, I think, two or three shows last year that shot in South Africa, Australia. Um, we're, we're very big into the UK. Um, we've had shows that are shot all over the United States. I mean, I think in about seven or eight different jurisdictions. We finance tax credits from those jurisdictions. Um, so, you know, it's really more of, you know, it's less of a provincial thing or even a national. Uh, the, uh, in as much as we're called the National Bank, we really should be called the International Bank of Film and Television Finance because I think we have the most expertise in financing international deals, co-productions, U.S., you know, Canadian everything and we are really very well versed in all of that and and including our our legal which is another very important part of 
you know, the transaction um, is that you have very experienced legal team who can get your, you know, financing closed for you in uh, a very timely manner as everyone is always under pressure to close their deal and make it to principal photography with some money to pay people. Right. You know, it's funny because, you know, when we talk about things that producers should do, uh, as we've done on the show before and as I'm going to ask you now, sometimes I Mm -hmm. find it very helpful to to ask the question from the other side of the coin, which is sometimes it's more helpful to ask the question, what are the things that most often cause things to go wrong? That is to say that not that the production ultimately will completely go off the rails and disintegrate, but what are the, what are the major hurdles that producers will generally encounter when they're working with the bank on either closing their financing or specifically when they're trying to integrate gap into their deal? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most, well, first of all, with GAP, I think that the biggest obstacle is time and having to rely on third parties um, from around the world who are not on the same timeline um, towards closing as the producer is. So, you know, with Financing international pre-sales comes the need for the bank to have comfort by way of agreements um, with these distributors that have the distributors agreeing to pay directly um, into the account at the bank, into the proper collection accounts. Um, you know, there's a lot, of many, many agreements that have to be drafted and signed by each individual distributor of all of the pre-sales. So that takes time. And if the producer themselves, who are so, you know, busy and understandably so, you know, worrying about all the aspects of their physical production um, and budgeting and making sure that, you know, uh, gearing up and, and the whole pre, the whole prep process and pre-production process, you know, a lot of the time, um, the the financial aspect of it and closing the financing is, I mean, there's only so many hours in the day. It's it's very stressful, a lot of pressure, and frankly, I think that you know the solution there is to a make sure that you know you have a really solid um, attorney uh, on the production side who you know can really. Um, anticipate issues, um, who's organized or who's helping organize the, the financial close, who understands what, you know, it takes to close a financing of that magnitude, uh, an international financing with gap and pre-sales. I think that's huge. And I think if, you know, and also to be really aware or put somebody, you know, and maybe even hire somebody who will help that along because there's, again, just so many hours in the day and it's a very, you know, complicated process. So you're, um, if, if we're just going to just zoom out for, for just half a minute and just, just take a look at the, the, the state of the union, the, the, the film business. And I ask this again from, because you see so much, uh, mm-hmm. where do you see, if you were to kind of take a snapshot of you know, what the film business looks like today. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think about where we are in kind of the, the overall uh, cycle of 
of the film business. That is to say, are we in a place where budgets are going down? Budgets are staying the same. They're, you know, it's always the same. It's never going to change. Uh, is the world really shitty right now? And it's just made things really, really hard. Like, what is what is what is our state of the union? I think we'll only know that when we find out what happened to that plane in right. Malaysia. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair, fair um, what is okay. the state? I mean, <laughs> no, that's not, you know, that's not fair. So I think the state right now, frankly, is that a lot of, you know, the, um, there's really not a lot of room anymore for those, you know, um, for the filler stuff. At least I don't see it anymore, frankly. Um, I don't see a lot of it anymore. For the, you know, kind of low-budget schlock films that traditionally I think were in abundance and, and people were buying, I think the buyers are just being more discerning about what, you know, type of movie. And, and actually, you know, at every level, I have to say, the buyers are just being pickier about what it is that they're looking for because so many huge films um, that they've paid a lot of money for, unfortunately, over the last few years, have really not worked. I mean, there are certainly those that have. We all know that this very successful Hunger Games story and, you know, a lot of these you know, big, um, you know, huge franchise uh, pictures in the independent space. But, I mean, there have also been a lot of misses, um, many more so than hits. And they, yes, I agree with you. If you look on the, at the festival circuit, like if you look at the Sundance lineup, I mean, it's overwhelming how many pictures there are, but then how many pictures really get picked up for distribution in those? I don't know the statistics exactly because a lot of those pictures... It's like 2%. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a relatively small percent versus how much people put out there, but I mean, these are usually much smaller budget films and not the type of stuff that we look at financing, but, you know, all that to say, even in the larger budget arena, um, you know, the, the, it's either you have the, you know, five to seven million dollar film that if it doesn't get a theatrical release can still make sense as a TV film, um, or an SVOD TV or cable, um, you know, play. But, you know, when you start to get into the 10 to 15 million dollar range, and that is not, and I mean, I, I mean, forget 20 million and up, but if you start getting into 10, 50 million dollar range in your movie, uh, nobody's picking it up for distribution or it's getting a four wall, you know, theatrical, you're in big trouble. I mean, that's a really tough place to be in, um, especially for your equity investor. Well, so, first of all, I mean, I, I, I know that was a, you know, maybe ridiculous question, but very insightful answer. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I, I think there's actually a lot to take away from that answer, particularly when you said that buyers are just being more discerning and that there's 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 no room for the smaller, schlockier stuff that maybe before there was room for. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. that's, I think that's very, very well. Very very well said. So what happens? Like what when you when you see or when titles are uh, when when titles come to that place where they're not getting the large distribution deals, but 
they're moving over to you know straight to SVOD, uh, or you, and you've got name actors in a lot of these movies, and you, and we see it all the time. We see the movies that mm-hmm. didn't, that didn't do well in theaters. They got great actors, and uh, it's now you know straight to iTunes or straight to mm-hmm. wherever. Um, is is that a and that's a common thing. That's 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 a fairly I mean like that's it's almost the because you can't rely on 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 the straight up. I'm going to do well at a film festival. My film's definitely going to sell to uh, to a distributor. So, how do you protect the downside risk in those in those cases? <laughs> well, that that's the that's the key, right? So, you know, the downside risk. That's where the the equity investor often gets burnt, right? Um, because they're sold a bill of goods, and then it just doesn't get the release for whatever reason. For you know, it wasn't well executed. Um, you know, the, the, it just didn't perform as expected. I mean, it happens at the studio level, right? So it's bound to happen quite frequently at the independent level. And unfortunately, that's when people, you know, who, you know, started out, um, with big dreams and expectations have to face reality and sometimes losses, um, you know, and that's why even in a first position recoupment and a maximum of 20% gap, you know, I, that's why I was talking to you earlier about that I still view that even as quasi-equity because it's still risk money. And in this climate, I mean, again, when buyers are being so discerning and there's not, you know, any more, it's not a slam dunk that you're going to get U.S. distribution, um, e- even as a you know, as an afterthought, you have to be careful, and so everybody is a bit more prudent. I think that would have to be my overall um, kind of summation of things uh, as they stand these days, which is everyone is really being careful and prudent and not, you know, there's less and less buyers who are just going on buying sprees. Even if they have the budgets, they're being more careful. They're educating themselves more. They're really doing research, getting all the comps that they can, looking at, you know, whatever information they can get their hands on. And now that we are able to access so much historical information on all kinds of films, you know, everybody is a, is, is a bit more educated than they used to be, right? So it's harder to pass a bad movie through the system, or it's harder to get, um, I mean, what's a bad movie? Everybody, it's all objective. It's all, you know, subjective, I guess. But it's, you know, it's more difficult to have people buy just anything anymore. They're a lot more discerning. So that's why I say it all begins with a good, solid script. And the script has to be interesting and grab attention. And, you know, it has to be well-written. And the character development has to be there if, if, you know, that's a big part of the script. I mean, it just has to be interesting. There's also so many distractions for, you know, all over the place these days, as we all know, with Internet and, you know, hundreds of, of cable channels and, every other ridiculous distraction um, that technology has created. So you have to have something pretty is what it is in the end. Right. And, and 
I guess you know the because this has come up as now a couple times in the conversation, it it bears asking, and that's the idea of equity and how much mm-hmm. how much equity, um, or are you seeing projects almost <coughs> exclusively with a piece of equity? Is it almost a de facto situation where independent projects that I guess let's just let's just peg it at that five to fifteen million dollar level? Where there's always a piece of equity, um, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so in, in general, that is a non-starter. If you're gonna if you're gonna play in that world, someone's out there putting up a little bit of risk money alongside everybody else's. Yep. Yep. Okay. No. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I mean, if you're talking about working within the Canadian system or European system, where there are so many different subsidies to pull from, and you have the good fortune to be able to you know, access that, then no. I mean, the answer is you could probably get away with not having to go out and, you know, source equity. But in the projects that I normally finance, um, which do have a gap component and have to be very commercially viable, um, yes, they almost inevitably have an equity component to them. Almost. I say almost. But, you know, I mean, there's been an exception here and there, but pretty much that's the way the structure will will appear. Well, this has been really great. I mean, uh, Lisa, I appreciate uh, certainly your time and insights. And uh, I mean, there's 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 a lot of information here that we covered. I I hope people uh, you know get something out of certainly the information that 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 you've given today. Do you have any? If people want to get in touch with you or the bank, what's the best way mm-hmm. for for them to reach out? Oh, they can they can send me an email. Um, I am at uh, Lisa dot Wolofsky, W O L O F S K Y at BNC dot CA. So, if you'd like, and if you have all the um, have been listening from the beginning to this podcast and have all of your uh, ducks in a row in terms of the documentation that we need to see to present a project. I'm happy to take a look at it and um, give you an assessment on the on the value. Awesome. For gap. Yeah. No. This, mm-hmm. this is great. Um, any uh, any parting thoughts? And, and by the yeah. way, this this doesn't preclude anybody from sending a fully Canadian project or a Canadian content project. I mean, we're happy to look at those, and that's a different business. I mean, that's not frankly what I do on a daily basis, but we have, like I said. Um, I think it's 34 or maybe even 35 now account managers across Canada and all of them but me pretty much <laughs> work on the Canadian deals and the co-production deals. So there are many people that I can refer anybody to if they have even a, a small Canadian deal. I mean, that doesn't really have any sort of um, full floor to it. We look at deals as $100,000 up to, you know, millions of dollars. Right. So, and that's and that's an important point. I mean, obviously, you're, you're on the mm-hmm. show kind of representing that that international component, and 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 so you know, of, of course, me being in Canada too, I, I I should have been you know more more kind to the fact that I'm Canadian. I should be pumping up the Canadian thing, but we're <laughs> but, but but we're doing a worldwide podcast here. This is for the world, free to air to the world. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, but right. I I do need to say that because we're we are. You know, you know Canada's, I believe, largest financier. Certainly, we have the the lion's share of the market in Quebec, and I believe a huge market share in Canada in financing, you know, Canadian pictures and co-production. So don't hesitate to 
send them over as well. Yeah, and we've done deals with the National and uh, certainly, you know, the National that you guys have an awesome, awesome team. So uh, highest respect and certainly, uh, definitely, if you have a deal, give these guys a call. So, Lisa, thanks, thanks again for your time. Thank you so much, Jesse. It's been great. We'll talk soon. And there you have it. Bank financing. Simple, right? Just go out, get yourself a $5 million budget, get yourself some international pre-sales, throw in some gap, boom, done. That might be a little harder than it sounds, but it is pretty cool. That is, uh, in many ways, the foundation of film financing, and Lisa is very much in the center of that. So uh, it was cool to hear her insights about, about the film business, how it works, uh, how one interacts with the bank. So I think just lots of really good stuff there. And, and Lisa, if you're listening, uh, thank you for coming on the show. As always, you can find this episode at crafttruck.com slash BOF28. Please drop us a line uh, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions. We love hearing from you and we want to answer your questions. So if you have any questions about bank financing, you can drop us a line anytime. And we will get back to you. We will answer you. We will try and get those answers answered to you either directly or here on the podcast. So uh, we'll be back next week with another exciting episode. Um, I find this exciting. I do. I enjoy it. And, uh, and I hope you do too. So please share if you're enjoying this because that's the only way we get the word out. And uh, it really helps uh, just keep this podcast going. So the more people that hear about it, uh, the more we can spend our time uh, getting more of these podcasts out to you. So thank you, listeners, for listening. I hope you're getting something out of this and uh, enjoying it. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm off. I'm gone for the day. I will see you next week. Cheers. <laughs>